let me read the verses. I'll read a couple verses. No, those, that's what I've selected as my text verses. We'll be in 1 Samuel, I think most of the time. We'll be flipping around there. And uh, so I want to look at uh, Saul. I want to look at his life. So let's look at uh, verse 5. And there it says, And when Saul, <clears throat> pardon me, saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, <clears throat> and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. What a sad, sad, sad couple of verses. Here's Saul and uh, King Saul, need I remind you. And he uh, is fearful. He's facing an enemy, and he's trying to communicate with the Lord, and uh, the Lord didn't answer him. Wow, what a pitiful state. I want you to, to look, please, at verse 5, where it says, And his heart greatly trembled. I want to talk about the heart tonight. Um, my point, my direction tonight is hopefully that, to convince you of the importance of your heart. And then uh, we're going to look at what uh, Saul's heart did to him, and then we're going to look at how we can keep our heart right. Uh, I was considering some, uh, some illustrations I'll give them to you in a minute. But uh, have you ever lost heart in something? I'm sure if you've lived long enough, you have. And uh, when I think of a loss of heart, um, I think of what these illustrations that I'm going to give you. Um, and so maybe there's somebody here tonight, I don't know, and maybe you're about to lose heart. It gets hard to take those steps that the Lord wants you to take when you've lost heart. And sometimes when your heart is no longer here, you make bad decisions, decisions, and sometimes you think to yourself, it would be better if I was elsewhere. And you make decisions when your heart is in that condition, and that's a very dangerous thing. <clears throat> if the devil can influence you tonight, we're going to see how, it, how that was so with Saul. He, he's gonna, he wants your heart. So just like the Lord wants your heart, so does Satan. He wants your heart, and he has many devices <clears throat> by which he, he intends to do that. So I can, uh, I can tell you one time where I, where I give his first illustration is where I had a lot of heart. When we were uh, in basic training, we, did, uh, we uh, fought with pugil sticks. And so pugilism is just striking, right? And so they had these sticks, and you strike people with it, okay, that kind of thing. Only we had to do it on a log, and it was over water. And so you would face your opponent, and the first one to be thrown into the water, of course, lost. And I think they did that so that nobody could run away. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go anywhere. And so you go out there and you face them. And so they'll give you the pugil stick. And you had a helmet on. I mean, you didn't really hurt. I mean, at most, you get wet. But uh, so there was a confrontation. Well, I can remember thinking to myself, well, I think this is what I'll do. Once they give me the pugil stick, I'll, uh, this is what I'll do. And I, I imagined my emotions <clears throat> and what I would do. And I think I was going to feign something. I don't remember. But I had in my mind what I was going to do. And the person, my opponent, was a really small guy. And I thought to myself, I got this. He, he's going flying. It's not a problem. So I, I walked out there, and I can remember for whatever reason, I lost my balance. And I fell into the water. The guy didn't even strike me. Nothing. <laughs> and I fell into the water, and he's cheering on and everything. I remember hitting that water, and I thought to myself, uh-uh. No. And I ran out of that water. I ripped the pugil stick out of the drill instructor's hands, 
And I felt sorry for that next guy that came out there because I walloped him. But I, I was encouraged. I had a lot of heart that day. But uh, that, that's, that hasn't always been the case. I can remember being in high school, <clears throat> and I ran track and field. It, it disgusted me. I hated it. It was repugnant beyond measure. But I did it to um, stay in shape for soccer. That's why I did it. And my soccer coach was also the track coach. And so anyway, um, so I ran uh, sprints, and I ran middle distance. I would run 400 meter, 800 meter, and I ran sometimes relay race. And it was an 800 meter relay race. Everybody, everybody runs 200 meters, and then you pass the baton and so forth. So we'd practice passing the baton, and the word we would always say is ice. I don't know why we said ice. It was a word I think you can say when you're tired. And uh, when the person that behind you says that, you put your hand back like that. He throws the baton in your hand. It's supposed to be a smooth transition. So I was the second leg. There was four legs, and I was the second one. And uh, so the person that uh, was first, I think he was a freshman. And he was not particularly known for running fast. <clears throat> and here's the thing. Uh, my heart never was into track and field. It never really was. And so I always thought to myself, well, I don't want to run first. Because then if you come in kind of in last place, then they can blame you. I wanted to be second or third with the hopes that the person that passing the baton to me was maybe in last place. This way, if you pick up a place, if you go like from fourth to third, you know, it's a good thing, that kind of thing. <laughs> My thinking was wrong. And I don't know what this guy ate that day. He had an extra bowl of Wheaties. I don't know what happened. He was flying down there. And he's coming in first place. I'm thinking, oh, great. And now I'm going to lose first place. And uh, my heart just wasn't in it. And uh, so he's coming down there. And he's, he's running. He's flying, flying down. I've never seen him run like that before. And uh, he's getting close. And I'm getting nervous. And I'm getting more nervous as he's getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And as he approaches me, something uh, uh, happened that I have not ever forgotten. And that's why I'm telling you. And I'm going to finish that at the end of the sermon. I'm going to tell you how that turns out. This way you'll pay attention to this boring preacher as you, uh, as you go through. So keep your mind on track and feel. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We're grateful for this evening, and I'm thankful for your people. And uh, it is a privilege and an honor. It is a frightening thing to get up and to preach to your people. These are your people. And this is, this is your church, and this is your word. And those songs we sang, we sang them to you. What a beautiful song service. Thank you for it. What a blessing. And so, Lord, tonight I just want to be real. And I just want to be transparent. And this issue of the heart, the way I, I believe it is, is extremely important to you. This is how you speak to us. It's how you move us. And so, Lord, I feel much like Paul, the least of all saints. <clears throat> if there's anybody that shouldn't be up here, I think it's me. But because of your mercy. And he also said that he was thankful because of your mercy putting him into the ministry, and I feel, feel very much that way. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We, we sing the heaven came down and filled my soul. We think about all the, every good thing and every wonderful thing that happens in my life was connected to your people and to your church, everything, every bit of it. And, Lord, I know that's true, and I'm so grateful and so thankful. And I, I'm hoping that there will be other people who make steps to to trust you as I did, and they can't see what a change it'll make in their life, but it's wonderful. And if you can show them these things, uh, that, would, that would sure be a blessing tonight, so we'd like to see that again. Uh, Lord, you, you changed my life. The very instant I got saved, my life was different. 
I, I couldn't go back to do those things with any kind of pleasure that I used to have pleasure in. Uh, something happened to me. I couldn't describe it. I couldn't tell you why. I didn't know the verses, but something happened. And uh, praise the Lord, every time I wake up, every morning, I remember you're, you're a Christian now. And uh, open your Bible and read it. What, what a blessing it is to be a Christian and live this life that way. And so, Lord, we know that Christianity is not a religion. It's a person. It is a resurrected Savior. And when we pray, as I'm praying now, Lord, I'm praying not to a, piece, not to a lifeless idol, piece of wood, or something fashioned with man's hands. I'm, I'm speaking to a resurrected Savior, alive, very much alive, and very uh, involved in our lives. And so we're thankful for that. So, Lord, as we go through, as I go through the sermon, I ask that you bless and that you give us good attention and that your spirit would just take control and convince people of these truths. May you be honored and blessed. May your people be encouraged tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the heart is something we have to understand that requires maintenance. <clears throat> your car requires maintenance, doesn't it? Sometimes when you go over a lot of bumps and the alignment is off on the front end there, and if your wheels aren't exactly parallel, one is a little bit this way, they fight against each other as you go down the road, and your tire wear is bad, and then things start to vibrate, and then other things get loose, and here we go. So your car needs alignment, doesn't it? Sometimes it just needs that. Well, our heart needs alignment. You can't go through this life without there being a, a realignment of your heart often. That needs to happen often. Because we get out into the world, we get out there and we go through our life, and things just get out of line. In fact, uh, the Lord knows that, and I think, I, I, I think I'll convince you of that tonight, or help you to remember that. But it's something that is important. Solomon said, uh, the, keep your heart with all diligence, he says, keep it with all diligence. And then he says, why? Because out of it, the heart, are all the issues of life. I can remember years ago, we had a Sunday school, this is not in this church, it was in another one, we had a, a couple that would come to Sunday school, and they only came to Sunday school, nothing else, which is somewhat odd. Normally they come for the morning service, but they came to Sunday school. And they came faithfully every single Sunday to Sunday school, and then they would leave, and they would, you wouldn't see them again until next Sunday school. They were faithful to put their tithe in, in, in the offering plate, and they, but they came to Sunday school, and that was it. So I was talking to the pastor of the church then, and, and sometimes he, he would preach some things, and I would, and you can, it didn't matter what you did. You could not get those people to move. They would not. You're, you're short of calling them out in the service. You're screaming it. You're slapping it. You're spitting it. You're Hebrews 10, 20, all the rest of it. They were not going to move one single inch, and they never did. And so I, I, I learned something there, and, uh, and it's this. It's a simple thought. You and I and everybody ultimately will do what your heart leads you to do. You won't always do what the Bible says. You won't always, unless your heart is aligned that way. You will do what your heart tells you to do. Sometimes you scratch your head and you think that the, the, these, this, this decision that somebody's making here is obviously not a good one. Why are they doing it? Because it's because of their heart, that's why. So it is important, it's, it's essential that we make sure our heart is lined and is right. We know that the heart is deceitful, right? Above all things, we know that. God knew that. Of course knew that. So he led Jeremiah to write those things. He knows that. He knows our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He knows that. He also knows that it needs to be aligned. And that's not a, ultimately not a bad thing. Sometimes we 
we afflict ourselves and how horrible we are and all the rest of it. You just need an alignment. just need your heart aligned. So let's talk, let, let, let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about, this is not an exhaustive study by any means, but it's just what does the Bible say about our heart? In what way is it true that out of our heart are there all the issues of life? Well, it says our heart can make us glad. The Bible says in Psalm 104, 15, And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. So here we have a strengthened heart. We have a glad heart. Those things are, are not things that you can purchase, are they? And when I say heart, everybody here knows what I'm saying. It's your affections. It's, it's, it's your spirit. Okay, this kind of thing. And that's what the Lord influences. That's what he speaks to. Uh, in, the, in the same way that we can have a glad heart or a strengthened heart, we can also have a sad heart. Proverbs 12, 25, heaviness is in the heart, in the heart of man, maketh it stoop. Have you ever been uh, happy and you feel it right here, don't you? It's kind of like we call it a fuzzy or whatever, that kind of thing. And then when you're sad, it feels like there's a weight hanging off of your heart. You know what I'm talking about tonight? It feels, and, and like it says here, it feels like you're just stooping. Something happened. You were assaulted by something or whatever, and you feels, it feels like you're stooping. That's your heart. Uh, the heart is, uh, is our source of pride. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Before honor is humility. Where does pride come from? It comes from our heart. When we lift ourselves up, it is uh, surrounding the heart. We try to get our heart higher and that kind of thing. It's pride. Our heart can make us indignant and uh, ignorant. Interesting, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You try to help people on the bus routes or whatever, you're counseling with people. It, it is rare that people open their heart up. It takes a person of understanding to do that. But when they do, and you figure out what the source of the issue is, because you have to get to that, don't you? You have to get to that, even with your, with your own kids. It's an issue of the heart, isn't it? Isn't it? And until they open their heart to let you know what it is, you'll never find out what the problem is. The problem is in their heart, is where it is. And you might, unless, unless you find out what that is, you'll never, you'll never, help, ne never be able to help them. Our heart shows us what we really are. Proverbs 27 says, and, and in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. You see, we are not... We are not what we show people on the outside. We are what we are on the inside. And that is what is important to God. So First uh, Peter says that in chapter 3, it is a hidden man of the heart, which is in the sight of God of great price. He considers it great price, not just price, great price. So I guess we have to ask ourselves tonight, where is my heart? Is it right with the Lord? I think you're going to find out part of the frightening thing about Saul's loss of heart is that oftentimes he didn't even know. He didn't even know his heart was away from the things of God. Isn't that the very thing that was Saul's problem? Why did uh, God select David? Because he's a man after God's own. That was the problem, wasn't it? You might say to yourself, well, Saul did this and this and this, but where did all that stem from? It stemmed from his heart. So tonight... Um, you're here, and that's wonderful. What's, what's your heart condition? You'll find, we'll see also tonight that you can do things for the Lord, and your heart can be very far from him. Our heart 
is influenced by what we see and our heart is influenced by what we hear. So we heard wonderful music that does good things for your heart. But you can hear things out there in the world that the devil wants you to hear that has the opposite effect. Anybody that's really going to move somebody does it through the heart. So you try to, get, to, to grab their affection. Uh, it was preached this morning, I think the idea of uh, the, the, that the, the news, they try to sell their news by making us fearful. But where does that fear reside? It resides in our heart. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but it, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. And in the context of that verse, of course, it's talking about good things. But our eye and our ear affects our heart, doesn't it? Uh, do you remember the, the book Mansoul, The War for Mansoul? Remember that gate, ear gate and the eye gate that would open up and let things in? That's a good illustration, isn't it? So you say to yourself, well, what is the danger nowadays? Well, how are things more dangerous nowadays than when I was younger? And those of us who were a little bit older when we were younger, I'd have to say, more enters into our eyes and hearts through, through satanic means than ever was capable before. And you have to admit that that's true. That's true for me. That's true on my side of things. I'm not uh, immune to that at all. So with all this assaulting, I would say that even more so, we need more frequently to have a heart alignment. It's even more important. So we look at the life of Saul, and I always remind myself in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, when I'm looking at the Old Testament, where it says, now these things happen to them, and he's talking about the Old Testament, the things that happen to them in the Old Testament, for and samples, that they are, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. That word in samples has to do with a die, like a stamp, a die. That's what that word means. So the, here it says these things happen unto them so that, so that it would be stamped unto us. And where would it be stamped? In our heart, wouldn't it? That impression of what happened to them would be stamped in our life. That's what, what the Lord hopes for us then as we look at the Old Testament. So as we go through this, uh, we, we want to make sure that we remember that uh, God has this account in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel so for an example to us, for a stamp, for a die. That there would be something about this would be imprinted in us, and then we would remember these things. So let's look, first of all, at God's investment in Saul's heart. I guess what, I'm, what I want to look at you to see is what was God's intention for Saul's heart? He, we read those verses in 5 and 6 where he, his heart trembled. Was that the Lord's intention? Is that what God wanted for Saul? Is that what he wants for you and I? No. So let's look, and I want you to see, we're going to look at this in contrast. So let's go back to verse, chapter 9, if you're here in 1 Samuel. Let's jump over to chapter 9, and verse 19. So what did Samuel uh, do with, uh, what was his interaction with Saul? Verse 19 of 1 Samuel 9, it says, And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Uh, or the prophet, okay, I am the seer, I'm the one that you're looking for. So if you remember, Saul lost the sheep, and he was told to go find the sheep, and so he was thinking, if we can talk to a prophet, maybe he might be able to tell us where the sheep are. And so Samuel says, I'm that seer. Then he says, go up before me into the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. At this point, Saul didn't realize why Samuel was going to, you know, Samuel knew he was, he was selected to be the next king, but Saul did not know that. 
So he says, I'm going to tell you all that is in thine, then he says, heart. Look at verse 27. So how was Samuel going to do that? Verse 27, and as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant pass on before us, and he passed on, but stand thou still a while, that I may show show thee the word of God. So um, with this, this is a a warning. I think Samuel is speaking to Saul, and as he's starting off, he's trying to influence his heart, isn't he? This is what Samuel's doing. After all, he's going to be the king of of, uh, God's people, and he needed to have the right heart. So here, through Samuel, God is investing, you might say, into Saul's heart. Now, if we go to chapter 10, the very next uh, chapter here, as we go on. So I just read, I'll show you the word of God. Now, let's read a few verses here in chapter 10. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And when thou art departed from me today, when thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulchre and the border of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. And after that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with the psaltery and the tabret and the pipe and a harp before them, and they shall <coughs> prophesy. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Now remember Saul, Samuel said, I'm going to show you what's in your heart. I'm going to show you these things. And thou shalt go down, verse 8, before me into Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice, sacrifice of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him, what does it say there? God, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. What did this other heart look like? When God gave him another heart, we see it there, what, what, what did that cause in Saul? Look at verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of the prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Who's him? What's the antecedent there? Saul. And he prophesied among them. So he's proclaiming the word of God. So this change of heart that God gave to Saul, another heart. Uh, he was afraid before, wasn't he? He was fearful. He, was, he didn't think he could find the sheep. Something happened, and it changed him. It changed his actions, and it required a change in heart. What else? Look at verse 13. And when he had made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. So he's worshiping. He's proclaiming. <coughs> Pardon me. He's worshiping. Look at verse 21. What else did it produce in him? And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, they couldn't, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. I think we had agree. He's humble here, isn't he? There's humility. He's not, he's not riding out there thinking he deserves what the Lord is giving to him on this white steed or whatever. No, he's humble. 
This is what the other heart is. He proclaims the word of God. He uh, is humble. He worships. And he has influence. Look at verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So he's being influential. He's following. A band of men are following. And just like the Lord touched his heart and changed his heart, other people's hearts are being changed. And then, as it turns out, uh, he has some opposition. But he has some opposition from the right people. You'll see what I mean. Look at verse 27. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Don't you think that if the right people, in other words, people that were right with God, these prophets would have said those things, and it would be a cause of worry, wouldn't it? But these are sons of Belial. So those people that are uh, essentially the servants of Satan, those people opposed Saul. Well, those were the right people, wasn't it? It tells us that Saul was on the, on the right side. And then there was unity, and he had victory. We won't go to these things, but they're good things. I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is what God has invested in Saul's heart. This is what he intended for him. This is what he wanted for him. Here he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming the word of God. He's a, he has true humility. He is uh, influential, and he's influential for the Lord. And he, uh, uh, although being opposed, but you understand, I think you see what I'm getting at. This is God's investment in Saul's heart. And then Saul was encouraged, just like I was encouraged with the, uh, with the pugil stick. He was uh, in a different way. He's defending the men of Jabesh-Gilead. So it turns out that the Ammonites, uh, 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 the, which were the enemies of God's people, came to Jabesh-Gilead, where, where, where were the, the tribe of the Benjamites, the Jews there. And Samuel uh, had renewed the kingdom in Gilgal, and there Samuel reminded the people of their sin in asking for a king. Look at 12, chapter 12, verse 17. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord. He shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. And so Samuel reminds the people. He renews the kingdom of Gilgal. Now with Saul as king. And he reminds them of this. And then he encourages them, however, even in the midst of all of this, to keep their heart right. Look at verse 20 of chapter 12. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your, all of your heart. Look at 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Boy, if they can just keep their heart right, is what Samuel is saying. Do you see what he's getting at? Just like with Saul, what the Lord had done. This was Saul's official coronation ceremony, you might say, of being. And these are all good things, aren't they? Saul started off properly on the right foot, if you will. And the Lord is investing uh, time into Saul through Samuel, and he's giving him all of the, all, all, all these blessings, and it has to do with his heart. Those are good things. Time goes on, doesn't it? And we get to chapter 28, like what I read before, and uh, there it says that he was trembled in his heart. I'll read those verses again, verse 5. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither. What happened? What happened? I thought he started off well. He certainly did, didn't he? What happened? Ask yourself tonight, can what happened to Saul happen to you? Can it? I guarantee you it can. It can. And so, 
it's important for us to look at this. Hopefully this will be stamped in your heart. It will be a die. It will be on there, and you'll remember these things, and I will remember them. So what, did, what happened? Saul had a loss of heart. I think you can, at least not the right heart here. What happened? You might say to yourself, okay, well, um, he's still king. He's still trying to do what's right. And uh, a lot of the history of Saul we can look at. But I want you to see what, that, what, what his heart now that is trembling and afraid, where before he was being opposed by the sons of Belial, but he, it didn't matter. He was going to do what was right. He's proclaiming he's doing the right thing. He's influencing other people for right. And now we see he can't even defeat the enemies of the Lord. And he can receive nothing of the Lord. The Lord doesn't hear him. Problems with the heart. What did that Saul's loss of heart do for him? And let me remind you, and if you think, well, he's just trying to scare us, I, I am. I am trying to scare you. Because it's a scary thing. It really is. I'm scared. In, in a good way. I'm saying respectful. It's a fear. It's a good fear. So what happened to Saul? What did it cause him to do? Okay, he's got a loss of heart. What does that cause him to do? Well, I'll tell you this. When you lose heart in the things of God, you normally replace it with something else. And what Saul's loss of heart means here is it made him, look at verse 7 of 28. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. What business did Saul have seeking for familiar spirits? Is this so, how does, how does it get that way? It's because of his heart is what it is. He began to savor, he began to desire the things that the devil has uh, offered him. And let me just say, when you lose heart, the devil is always there offering you things. I think about Joseph that was thrown in the, in the hole and his brothers were doing all these wicked things. Is it by accident that just happened to be Ishmaelites coming by there? I know it was the Lord's will ultimately, but you see my point. The devil is always there. For, for the substitute, always. So before, when Saul was right, in addition to that, he kicked out those familiar spirits. Look at, and I'll get to what all that means in just a minute. In chapter 20, verse 3. And now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him, and buried him in Ramah, Ramah, even unto his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards. <clears throat> Look at verse 9. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have, there it is again, familiar spirits, and wizards out of the land. Who are these familiar spirits? That word in Hebrew, those that had familiar spirits, is one single word. And it means uh, to mumble. It means to mumble. But in the sense of like an ethereal, kind of otherworldly sort of sound. Uh, I don't know. I think about, have you ever heard people blowing a jug? You know, they have like a, <laughs> like a mountain band or something. I don't, and they blow in that jug. And it makes that kind of ethereal sort of vibration sound. It's a, little, it's a little bit of a different sound. That's what I think of. I don't know. But it's, it's people that know how to make certain sounds. Now listen to this. And those sounds resonate with evil spirits. There is a sound that resonates with evil spirits. In fact, it is a summoning of those spirits. This is what that word means. Um, then, so these are people, these people that have familiar spirits are people that are skilled and knowing how to create the kind of sounds that bring about evil spirits. So some people may do that during a seance, or this is the idea of necromancing or calling up the dead. This is wicked. It's satanic, isn't it? So Saul here is consulting with that woman. So um, then the word wizard has the idea of knowledge. So this would be a Gnostic. 
is what it is. People that have deep knowledge in things. Uh, there is a depth of Satan. There is. And Satan would love to give you that knowledge. We were knocking on doors one time and in, in Portage, I think it was, <clears throat> and a young lady came to the door and uh, we told her where we were from and she said that she was a witch. Like a Wicca witch. Like a bat witch. That kind of witch. And she said, she tried to convince me that those things were real. And I said, you don't have to convince me. I know it's real. I know it is. And I said, what happened? She said, I used to go to church. And I said, what happened to you? Well, this is what she said. She said, my grandmother was sick. And I prayed and begged God to save my grandmother. And he didn't. So I turned my back on him. She lost heart, didn't she? And she had a bitter heart. And look at, look at what, it, what she replaced it with. And you say to yourself, well, I would never do something like that. I'm telling you, we're no different than Saul. There is a depth of Satan. Let's go to Revelation 2 to understand this a little bit better. We, we have to understand what this danger is. Revelation chapter 2, the Lord is speaking to the seven churches. Verse 20. So this is the church of Thyatira. We see that in verse 18. And he says in 20, so here the Lord is speaking to the angel of the church of Thyatira. I'm not going to get into what all of that is, but this is what's happening. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. I'm fully convinced Jezebel was a witch. To teach, look at what she does. To which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. I believe that she would prophesy. I believe that she says some things that did come true. She did. The Bible talks about those, those wicked and evil spirits, and sometimes they'll, they'll do things and they do come to pass. Uh, we'll see later on, we, or you can read later on in Revelation, that there's an image that is made to move in things. It's all satanic. So there is this power. But it's always to do wickedness. And so what is the reason, what was Jezebel's plan? To seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. She was imparting this deep knowledge that she had in satanic things. She was a Gnostic. Then it says here, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them to commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, look at what it says here, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan. As they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. There is a depth of Satan. There is power. He does impart those things. The fact that there's a certain sound, these people that have uh, familiar spirits, that attracts that, helps us to understand that rock concerts is really a seance. Is really what they're doing. That music and that tone and that beat call forth evil spirits, and they do. How in the world can people do some of those things? I, I, I don't even care to know anymore. I was, I was long, many, many years ago. I know what that is. And I'm telling you, that's, those are people that have familiar spirits. How can there be so much power? How can that music move people? And it's, listen, it's always moved to do wickedness. Always. 
Always. It's powerful. You say, I would never do something like that. If you lose heart in the things of God, I'm telling you, you will. I don't know how far it will go, but you'll open yourself up to something. And Satan is always there. He's looking for that. So what does he do? He convinces you to be bitter about something. He convinces you to be unsatisfied, discouraged about something. You lose heart, and then he's right there. Isn't that what you would do to an enemy? So Saul here now uh, is in a pretty bad place. These, these things that these people do, and I'm back in uh, 1 Samuel 28, uh, are, is, is experience sought. They seek for an experience and they end up losing heart because when you um, lose, lose heart, you're seeking, it is that state that you're in, that weakened state where you're looking to fill a void. And it's these people who the, who the devil seek to devour. And now Saul is subjecting himself to a witch. Not only did he go to this witch to receive information he could not know because she was uh, a Gnostic, but also she, he's eating of her hand. In verse 8, you'll notice that, uh, uh, well, later on, it's not in verse 8, but later on, uh, the woman offers him uh, food and he takes it. So uh, this is an invitation of this witch that he accepted. So my point is this, and I think you see this. How did Saul, how in the world did Saul go from pronouncing the great things of God and, and, and having Samuel give him another, God give him another heart through Samuel and to do all those tremendous things, is it unsustainable? Is it? No. no, it's not. Secondly, it caused him to blame God for his troubles. Look at verse 15 of chapter 28. Now here we're looking at Saul in his state, in his lost, lost heart state, if you will. Verse 15, And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. Notice what he says next. And God has departed from me. Who is he blaming? He's blaming God there, isn't he? He's justifying why he did that. He says, I did this because God departed from me. I had to do something. We're going up against the Philistines. I had to do something. God has departed from me. And answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore have I called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Now, was this uh, uh, Samuel or not? I'm not going to get into that. My point is, his heart wasn't it. What did it cause him to do? It caused him to blame God. Now, you say to yourself, I would never do that. I'm telling you, if you ever, ever uh, make an excuse for doing something you shouldn't do, and it has to do with, with the Lord, or if you say to yourself, well, because the Lord didn't give me this, or because I don't have this, because I don't have this sentiment, or I don't have it with other persons, how in the world can I be expected to? You say, I would never get there. You will. If you lose heart, you'll get there. You'll start to blame God, and you'll start to justify things. You'll start moving in the wrong direction. Uh, I, God is so merciful. He says, remember there, he says he gave him space to repent, and we're going to look a little, a little bit more at that. But you'll never do that if you're blaming the Lord for things. And then thirdly, it caused his righteous soul not to see a way of repentance. When you have a loss of heart, you are blinded to the truth. You can't see it. And this is the, this is the scary part. Look at uh, verse 18 of, of 28. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. So we understand, right, Saul was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites. He did not do it. He disobeyed. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow thou shalt, thou, and tomorrow, <clears throat> tomorrow, 
Shalt thou and thy sons be with me, the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So it says here, because he didn't obey the voice of the Lord, or execute his fierce wrath, what did the Lord tell him? He says, because of that, he says, tomorrow. What does that tell you? What was the Lord doing? He's giving him space to repent, wasn't he? I guess my question to you is this. Could Saul have repented in that, in that day between this and the next day? Certainly could have. The problem was he didn't. Listen, there's always, repentance is always an option. He didn't take that option. And so then uh, it says here, shall thou and thy sons be with me? So was Saul a saved person? Yes. Were his sons saved people? Were they the people of God? They were. God says they'll be with me. So there is always repentance for the beloved. Always. Always. Look at first John. Let's jump over to the first John real quick in chapter 1. Verse 5. So John has a bit of a summary here in the beginning. He says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. And he establishes this very clear truth, that God is light, and therefore in him is no darkness at all. He is light, no darkness at all. Okay, we got that. So, we, so therefore, uh, if anybody's going to have fellowship with God, you can have fellowship, but you cannot walk in darkness. Agreed? Because he's light. He can't defy who he is. Then look at the people in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Think with me for a second. We have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Or we say. What is that about? So there are people that say, I'm right with the Lord. I'm having fellowship with him. And at the same time, they're walking in darkness. Is this possible? They're blind, aren't they? They don't see it. They're not going to seek for repentance. They think they're having fellowship with the Lord. And the truth of the matter is they're in darkness. They'll never seek for repentance. Well, I hope nobody is in that condition here tonight. And if we say that we have fellowship with him, walk darkness, we doubt, lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, okay, so what do we need to do? This is the uh, alignment. Here's the heart alignment. Here it is. The Lord knows that sometimes we are probably going to say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Right? Uh, it could be anything is from gossip. You've been gossiping. And, uh, or you've been bitter to some degree. Or you could even be blind to the fact you're blaming God for something. But you can be in that condition and say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. God knows that. So what is his plan? That we confess our, our sins to him. And then he will forgive us. Isn't that wonderful? Your heart can always be aligned. There's always a way of repentance. Always. That was Saul's problem. He just didn't take the way of repentance. I think about in Revelation, I think it's chapter 9, where these creatures come out of the abyss, and it says they torment people for five months. They're going to want to die, and they're not going to be able to die. And then it says, amazingly, at the end of that chapter, that after all that, they did not repent of their evil deeds. Right. You would right. think, right. but they would not. The heart, you say, a diamond is the, is the hardest substance known to man? No. It's man's heart. So it caused, uh, it caused Saul to seek the things of God. It caused him to blame God for his troubles. It caused him to not see the way of repentance. 
It caused him to be weak. I think we see this. Uh, he was weak. He was discouraged. Back in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 20, we see here that, and then Saul fell straight away all along on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him. For he eat no bread at all that day, nor all that night. You say, well, he, he wasn't strong because he didn't eat bread. Well, that's true, but why didn't he do that? This is lost heart. He was weak and he was discouraged. And they're terrible things. There, there were times uh, in, in my Christian walk, and here's I'm just going to be a little transparent with you. I had a bitter spirit about some things. And uh, I, I didn't see it. I justified that bitter spirit. I justified it. It was wrong. And when you justify a bitter spirit, you're really blaming God is what you're really doing. And what happened to me? I, I, I couldn't get right. I couldn't. I could, but I couldn't see that. Just like Saul. And uh, it got a hold of me. And I justified things. And it caused me to be weak. It caused me to be depressed. I couldn't even function after a while. Now, did I go to church? Yep, I did. Did I read my Bible every day? I did. I've never stopped doing that. But I was not right. I was walking in darkness. I said I had fellowship with him, but I was walking in darkness. I needed my heart to be aligned, and that's the only way it got better. That is the only way that it got better. And then, of course, ultimately, it, it led to Saul's premature death. Uh, he wouldn't get right. The Lord gave him space to repent there. He refused to do it. And so this day, Saul and his sons are with the Lord, aren't they? They're with Samuel. Where Samuel is there. It's with the Lord. They are there. And... Uh, I think to myself, wow, if he had just repented, how much better would it have been for him? But he refused. What a shame. What a shame. Boy, if there's anything that's, that's a shame, isn't it? The Lord had so many great plans for Saul. He wanted to be king over his people. Think about that. But he refused to keep his heart aligned. We can see in Saul's life what produced this misalignment and caused such tragedy. He was touched, his heart was touched by God and was given another heart. And he was prophesied, he prophesied with, with, with the prophets. But although they are, they, and these prophets, by the way, are mentioned, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 gives all the people that are faithful. The prophets that are mentioned, Samuel was mentioned there. And although Saul was with them, he is not mentioned. It's a change, it's, it was his heart that was the problem. So this example of Saul tells me that I could be looking at some people right now you say you have fellowship with them, but you're walking in darkness. And I'm telling you, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. A heart alignment is necessary. So why did, so it remains for us to, to try to understand why did he lose heart? And I'll do this quickly. Um, it's because Samuel pleased, uh, lost, lost the understanding that first and foremost, he has to please God and not man. He started being afraid of man. He started to please man. Look at, uh, so let's go back a little bit. 1 Samuel 15. Verse 54. 24, I'm sorry. 15:24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed to the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared, what does he say there? The people and obeyed their voice. He recognizes that, doesn't he? But he never got it right. He never did. We don't see true repentance here. Uh, you say, well, I don't fear man. I think to some degree you do. 
if there's ever been a time where you know you should have done what the Lord said to do because you feared man and what their response might be, be it giving a tract out or whatever it is, or maybe you know you should separate from somebody, some people you call friends, or maybe even family. You know you should, but you're afraid of what the reaction is going to be. Are you not fearing man before God? So, um, and then, so that's what happened with Saul. He started to, uh, to, as it were, serve man before God. And then, secondly, this is a huge, huge problem. He just tamed, did, never took responsibility for his actions. Please listen tonight. He never took responsibility for his actions. He never did. He said he did, but he did not. Look at 15, 15. You're here in chapter 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from uh, the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So here's Saul literally blaming himself. I mean, he is in charge. The commandment wasn't given to the people. Why should they be responsible for what they did? Right? It was never given to them. It was given to him. So he's really essentially telling on himself. And yet he never took responsibility for it. Being able to receive reproof and doing the right thing is not so easy sometimes, is it? It's not. But we must do it. And men, men, listen to me. We've, we've, we've got to set the standard here. We've got to take responsibility. I can remember uh, my, we, I, I, uh, it's kind of well known. I, I don't like dogs. <laughs> okay. You dog lovers are looking at me. I, sorry, it's just my thing. But I did have a dog one time. I had a Rottweiler, and we called his name Helmet. <laughs> that was his name, like a helmet. And so he was a, I thought it was a good German name, that's what I'll call him. And that dog, was a, it was a, he was a male, and he was a beast dog. And so I think that's why I liked him. And so we, he, was, uh, he was chewing through our home. He was literally chewing a hole in our walls. And so I, I had an old bus tire that I put in the backyard that was all blown apart. He's dragging the thing. He was a monster. And uh, so at school, <clears throat> there was a family there that had a Ford Excursion. It couldn't be a little car. It had to be the biggest thing that they make, just about. And the tires kept blowing up. And so he comes to me and says, you know, I can't figure this out. The tires are like, I don't know, brother. I'll pray for it. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. No, I didn't. Nobody knew. Until one day, I let my dog out, and my dog's chewing through the sidewall of his tires. What in the world? So, now my first impulse was, well, <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. I, don't, I couldn't be that way. So I went to him, and I, and see, that's what I'm saying. It couldn't be this small tire. It had to be these massive, very expensive tires. And I thought, oh, but I, I got to tell him, listen, I'll, I'll pay for all those tires. It, it, it was my fault. It was my dog's fault. I'll do it. He was very gracious, and I think we, it was 50-50. But I had to do it. It was the right thing to do. That's not always easy. But we have to take responsibility for our actions. If you messed up, God knows you're going to mess up. Listen to me now. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows that. He knows you're going to walk in darkness. Just confess it. Amen. Get it right. Yes, sir. And then Saul also allowed his, uh, his spirit to overrule the spirit. Look at verse 13, chapter 13, pardon me, verse 12. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and have not made supplication unto the Lord. 
Look what it says here. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. His spirit here overruled the spirit. And there's uh, something uh, that we need to understand is when we are not right with the Lord, uh, when your service to the Lord becomes forced like that, something's wrong. There's something wrong. When you think to yourself, ah, oh, again, another sermon. Okay, well, I'm going to go. I get it. Not the greatest preacher. But the point is you force yourself to do those things forcibly. Something's wrong. And then, of course, simple disobedience. All, of course, disobeyed. We covered that already. So these are the things that caused it. <coughs> Every single one of those things, I can tell you I've done. Everyone. And if you're going to be honest with yourself, so have you. And what I needed was a heart alignment. I can remember being in college years ago. It's 25 years ago now. 26. I was a college student here. And I, I was just not, something was wrong. It was like I was in a, like in a cloud. I just couldn't see things. Something was wrong. And I couldn't put my, I couldn't put my, my finger on it. And then we, we came to a chapel and we sang the song, It's Just Like Jesus to Roll the Clouds Away. And I listened to that song, and what the problem was, I just needed to be closer to the Lord. That was it. And it's once I made that decision, I took care of it. My problem was my heart, wasn't it? Just wasn't close enough to him. He wanted to be closer than where I was. So let's, real, real quickly now, how do I do that? How do I keep my heart aligned? I see what you mean. I look at Saul's life. I see that he went from this to that. I see what the dangers are. We can even see why, what led up to it. And maybe you would see some more things. This is by no means exhaustive. But how do we do that? The Lord had great plans for Saul. And does he love Saul more than he loves you? No. He has great plans for your life. He does. I'm not saying you're going to be king. But I'm just saying he has plans for you. Even that very thought. God has plans for me. He does. Of all the billions of people on earth, he knows everything about you, and he's got plans for your life. What a tremendous thought that is. And what you want, and what certainly I want for you, and, and, and all of us here as a church, we want you to have 100% of all that God has for you. That's what we want. David said, so David was the next king, wasn't he? Was David a great person? I would say he did things worse than Saul did. From a, from a moral standpoint, what was the difference? David repented, didn't he? David got his heart right. It says, uh, my heart is fixed, he says in Psalm 57. Oh God, my heart is fixed. The Bible there is fixed, means straight up and down, not leaning. And uh, so uh, that's the kind of heart he had. So how do we do this? Okay, number one, we simply apply our heart <clears throat> to the word of God. When you read the word of God, it has to be heartfelt. You need to see the Lord Jesus in, in all of these pages. And when you see him, and you, you end up into a closer relationship with him, uh, the Bible teaches us that God has given us, uh, in his word, the testimony of his son. Jesus is to be in all of these pages, and he is, in some way or another. All, you say all the laws of Leviticus, every, every, all of it. All of it is a testimony. Either they're, you know, all of it, if you think about it. But we need to see that. And when we listen to God's word and we read it, we have to make sure that we apply it that way. <clears throat> so the word of God is, is, is attached to the heart. Let me give you a couple of verses to show that. 
Second Samuel 7.21 says, For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. Uh, the word for, and then Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even unto the vital center of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the, the heart. Do you see? Is God's word connected to our heart? It is. And it is to be that way, and we have to make sure that it is that way. Number two, you just have to realize, I think, the emphasis that God places on the heart. Look at 1 Samuel 16, <clears throat> verse 7. There it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. When, he, when he's talking about David, how small David was and seemingly insignificant, he said, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Because I have refused him. Pardon me, he's talking about Saul, my fault. He's talking about Saul. For I have refused him. And here's why. Because the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Same thing with David, right? They thought, well, it can't be David. They didn't even bring him forth as one of the sons. So what does God look at? When he sees you and when he tries to discern who you are, what does he look at? Looks at the heart, doesn't he? You have to see the importance of it. You see, God isn't looking for great singers. He's not looking for great preachers. He's not looking for great teachers. He's looking for people whose heart is aligned with him. That's what he's looking for. And that we need to understand that. God can take anybody, even the most insignificant thing, and make it great. We have to make sure our heart is right with him. Um, when um, coaches look for players, it was interesting. I was just looking up one time. What are the ten traits that a coach looks for in a player? Here's what they are. Ambition, knowledge, a competitive nature, hustle, work ethic, a strong sense of maturity, honesty, good character, academic performance, and diversity. What, how would we sum up all those things? That coach, even coaches understand, I can do something with a player that's going to give me their heart, that, that, is, that, is, that has their heart into those things. I can do something with that player. I can show him how to play, but if they refuse, notice nothing in this list is, you know, uh, speed, all that sort of thing. And then lastly, I think we just need to humble ourselves often. We have to humble ourselves often. 1 Samuel 22, verse 8. I'm almost about to wrap it up, and I haven't forgot about the illustration. I haven't forgotten. Chapter 22, verse 8. <clears throat> that all of you have conspired against... So here's Saul, and notice his pride here. By the way, this verse right here led to the wiping out of the priests of God. Look at what he says in verse 8. That all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me. Notice all of these references, pronouns to himself. All of you have conspired against me, that there is none that make a league with the sons of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Sounds to me like Saul's pretty concerned with himself. Pride cometh before Destruction. The Bible also says in Proverbs 11:2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. 
we have to make sure that we're humble. So tonight, I, I tried to look through the life of Saul. And I thought to myself, how did Saul go from there to where he was, and now he's, he's counseling a witch? Well, the conclusion was, he didn't make sure his heart was right. Would God have continued to use Saul had he gotten his heart right? Of course he would have. And that's, that's Saul's responsibility. And that's your responsibility, and that's mine. So here he comes down the track. And he had all, all of uh, his energy, and he's number one, very first. And uh, he's coming down there, and all these thoughts are going through my mind. And, and to be honest with you, I was thinking along the lines of, look, I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to be here. And now, now this. This is my attitude. So he's coming down there, and there's the marks on the track, right? So where you start, he gets to a certain mark, and I knew to start, and we're taking off right there. And uh, uh, he's, he's coming down, I'm starting to accelerate a little bit. We practiced this a lot. We would sit in the hallway and just uh, ice, boom, 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 and roll like this, boom. Again and again and again, we would practice this so that it would be smooth. I get to that thing, and I, <clears throat> I heard him say it. And I reached back with my hand, and I felt the baton hit my hand like that. And when I came up here to start running, the baton flew out of my hand. And I can remember, it was a, it was a, I think it was magnes, magnesium pardon me, or aluminum, but it made that kind of high-pitched tingling sound, and it started rolling like that. I would love to tell you that I ran after that baton and grabbed it, and I finished. But I didn't. I saw the baton rolling away, and I thought to myself, oh, great. On top of all that, there's this. And all of the energy and the desire and the heart just went right out of me. And I was weak, and I didn't want to continue. So the third runner and the fourth runner, they didn't get a chance to run. So you see, when you allow your heart to go astray that way, rarely, like Saul, does it affect just you. It affects his sons too, didn't it? But, but God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to be right with him. And it's just a matter of getting your heart right. Some of you tonight just need to surrender. You just need to surrender. And say, Lord, here's my heart. I give it to you, all of it. It's all yours. And if he's convinced you of something you've done wrong, just confess it. Be, don't, don't be like Saul. Be stubborn. And may the Lord bless you in your decision tonight. Let's pray. If you stand, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And we'll be given an invitation. And if the Spirit of God moves you to make a decision, of course, you can make a decision anywhere. But if you feel like you should come up and solidify it up front here, then by all means, please do so. We need to talk to somebody. Sometimes we need somebody else.